Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from Detroit. And this is a very special bonus episode. Uh, it's very politically heavy. Uh, and later on in the show, Will and I are going to be talking about the Oscars together. So you're not going to want to miss that. One thing you do want to miss, though... Uh, is this travesty of Caitlyn Jenner running for governor of California. Uh, And one thing that has really popped up um, since she announced her run is this belief that LGBTQIA people are required to support her and, and or vote for her. That is a fallacy, and that is identity politics right there. I don't always have to vote for the gay person, especially if the... Or or anyone in the LGBTQ community, especially if they have god-awful beliefs. Uh, uh, Caitlyn Jenner was a Trump supporter, which automatically makes her a no on my list and many others. Uh, But... The right seems to be spinning this, uh, this narrative of uh, the community uh, being hypocrites because we don't support her and we won't vote for her. Uh, and we, I just have to ask, why would we? She was literally fine with taking away gay marriage and uh, the atrocities that Trump inflicted on us until... She realized it was hurting her popularity. Her reality show got canceled. And her image tanked. Then she decided that what he was doing was wrong. Uh, And she's no better herself. She is just as ill-prepared to take over running a government as large as California's or even... uh, the small town of East Point, Michigan, uh, where I grew up, <laughs> um, because she she doesn't know anything about government. And she proved that this week when she tried to dunk on Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, basically, the story goes that there was... the. Um, There was a man who was arrested for the death of a child, uh, and he was charged with felony domestic violence. Uh, But the witness uh, stopped cooperating, and uh, it appeared as though the charges were about to be dropped. So Caitlin, taking a cue from her political idol, turned to Twitter where she said, this is horrible and also avoidable. Gavin's district attorneys across California are releasing dangerous criminals back onto our streets. Enough is enough. Hashtag recall Gavin. It was not long before people started uh, politely informing her how misinformed she is. Uh, Ted Lou. Uh, responded, Dear Caitlyn Jenner, District attorneys are elected by voters, 
not appointed by Governor Gavin Newsom. Also, you, you do know how a bill becomes a law. Here's a cool Schoolhouse Rock video for you to educate yourself. Uh, and he links to uh, to the video and finishes with, do you know what veto means or budget? Now, not one to take kindly to uh, being dunked on in public. Caitlin responded, Ted, that kind of condescending tone is what's wrong with politics. Of course I know DAs are elected, but as the CEO of the state, the buck stops with Newsom. If you want to defend the status quo, then fine. But if you want to talk solutions to the crime bills, call any time. Lou <laughs> took the bait and said, Dear Caitlyn Jenner, actually, I don't think you realize DAs are elected. If you did, you would not have made your condescending statement about DAs. District attorneys are not beholden to, to the California governor. For example, the Orange County DA happens to be a Republican. Which was very interesting because uh, the initial crime happened in the LA district, of course. Uh, Carla Marinucci, uh chimed in on this controversy and said, could a candidate for governor be unaware that California district attorneys are not Gavins, but the choices of the vote of voters in the individual counties at Gavin Newsom did not endorse current uh, Chelsea Bowden, referenced here by Caitlyn Jenner. He endorsed her opponent, Susie Loftus. Uh, and then there was just some more dunking. Uh, Robert uh, Molnar said, district attorneys do not work for Gavin. P- politics one-on-one. Lesson over for the day. Uh, Gary South, who is a Democratic strategist in California, said, Caitlyn Jenner is an uninformed idiot. Watch her expose more of her embarrassing ignorance as the uh, campaign moves on. Here's the thing. As I've told you already, this is not about Caitlyn actually winning the governor's mansion. This is about Caitlyn being able to land either another reality show or, better yet, a talking head position on a Fox News or a a channel like that to bring in millions of dollars. It's also to endear herself to Donald Trump. Because what... What they're hoping happens is if Trump decides to run again, he likely will not be choosing Mike Pence as his running mate this time. Uh, There are a number of scenarios that have been presented, but according to our L.A. source, Caitlyn Jenner wants her name in that ring and she wants to be among the finalists. Uh, If for nothing else... She's hoping that perhaps if she's not selected as VP, she can get a cabinet position, uh, which she would then use uh, again to launch a more lucrative talking head uh, career. And this was after a weekend of her barnstorming the nation, uh, the the state of California. In the hopes of drumming up support, any kind of support. However, her poll numbers have not indicated that she is anywhere near uh, 
gaining the kind of uh, the kind of support that she's going to need in order to win. Instead, the this whole thing is having the opposite effect. Uh, her poll numbers are sagging, uh, and her Q rating, uh, which is what people, the TV, TV and the entertainment industry use to uh, measure uh, pop, the popularity and approval of uh, TV personalities, uh, is very, very low. Uh, I haven't got an exact number yet, uh, but... Our LA source has said, uh, at this point, the only person he's seen lower is Elizabeth Hasselbeck. Uh, and for those that aren't informed, Elizabeth had a Q rating of nine when she was fired from The View. Uh, so, uh, I think that's saying something here. Now, of course, Caitlin can turn things around. And surprise us all, but it's not very likely that that's going to happen. Uh, with her political first political folly in less than a week, we can expect more of the same from her. Uh, because, as others have rightly pointed out, she doesn't understand how to run a government. She doesn't understand that... Uh, certain positions are indeed appointed by Governor Newsom or the governor of the state, while others are elected officials uh, county by county uh, and some even city by city. <clears throat> and she doesn't have the charisma of Donald Trump and whoever thought that, that would be said. Uh, he was able to uh, pick and punch on people, uh, even when he was wrong, because he had an ability to convince people, even a small segment of the population, that he was right, or that he didn't actually mean what he said. On, on the other hand, Caitlyn Jenner does not have that ability. Now, when all is said and done, uh, most people believe that Caitlyn will drop out of the race uh, before too many more embarrassing faux pas happen. <laughs> and just before I go and pass this over to Will for our special politalk, I want to remind everyone, it is not okay to bash Caitlyn Jenner for being transgender. That would be transphobic. However, if you want to dunk, dunk on her for being a horrible human being and an even worse politician, if that's possible, have at it. Will's coming up next with Politalk. I'll be. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everybody who does not belong to either of the previous two categories, and welcome to a special edition of Politalk. For those wondering why you're hearing from me so soon after the last Politalk, well, the reason for that is that I've agreed to do an additional deep dive this week in exchange for having Ed cover Caitlyn Jenner's gubernatorial run instead of having me cover it. 
So tonight we're going to be skipping over her attempts to wade into the unending mess of California politics to cover a riveting policy story that happened this week. I'm speaking, of course, about the Republicans unveiling their new infrastructure plan. Don't, uh, don't close out the podcast just yet. I promise this is going to be interesting. So, last Thursday, April 22nd, Senator Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia unveiled the Republican counteroffer to President Biden's $2.2 trillion infrastructure plan to a crowd of reporters. The senator touted the package as a $568 billion plan that was laser-focused on repairing American roads, public transportation, and public utilities, and didn't waste space on what she and her fellow senators have termed as the Democratic wish list of climate change investments and tax code updates. Senator Capito and her colleagues have been shilling the package ever since they unveiled it, but a couple of comments that they made while doing so stood out to me. First, there's her comment in the original news conference that the bill is what you would consider regular apportions plus. And then there's the other standout, Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania's comment that the bill uses different accounting than Biden's. Different accounting, in this case, means that he's lying about the bill in order to make it and himself seem more reasonable. Let me explain. The senators who unveiled the bill, as well as most of the media outlets that have reported on it, have touted the $568 billion number as if it should be directly compared to Biden's $2.2 trillion investment. $568 billion is roughly a quarter of what the Democrats are proposing. So to put all of this in less wonkish and more digestible terms... They're presenting their counteroffer as if you were trying to sell a used car for around 20000 and they were offering 5000 in response. Not really a great offer, but at least a starting point for negotiation if they're really claiming that they have a lot of issues with it. That's not even a remotely accurate comparison, though, because of Pat Toomey's aforementioned accounting differences. The biggest and most important accounting difference here is that the $2.2 trillion in spending that Biden's proposing is largely in addition to the government's baseline spending on infrastructure, or what the government plans to spend year to year, while the Republican proposal includes the baseline spending in its final calculations. In other words, almost all of the spending that Biden is proposing is new spending, while a significant portion of the spending the Republicans are proposing is not. How much of their spending is not new? Well, most of it. The government's baseline spending on infrastructure is about $350 billion, which makes up significantly more than half the Republican infrastructure proposal. When baseline spending is removed, the Republican bill proposes less than $200 billion worth of spending on public works. And it's actually even worse than that, because the bill proposes that most of the funding for new infrastructure spending would come from cannibalizing COVID relief programs like the American Rescue Plan that Democrats passed earlier this year. So, to go back to the car comparison, this is like if you offered 20 grand for a used car and somebody offered to buy it for $1800, half of which they borrowed from your parents. To add insult to injury, the Republican bill includes a major poison pill for Democrats. A new fee for electric vehicles would be put in place to help fund the investments. So, this bill's dead on arrival. I can't think of a single Democrat who'd agree to pass it unaltered after reading and understanding its terms. 
It's honestly kind of insulting that this is what they offered in response to the $2.2 trillion plan. But Senators Toomey and Capito and the other co-offers have very carefully dressed it up to appear as reasonable as possible, so that when it inevitably goes down in flames, they can bash the Democrats for being unreasonable and abandoning bipartisan cooperation. And whatever other nonsense Pat the Puce and his posse of putzes want to come up with. It remains to be seen what the Democrats' response will be. As of press time, the only statement they'd given on the subject was a press release from the White House thanking the Republicans for coming to the table and announcing that the president was pleased with the progress that was being made. As for me, I'm just going to try to make sure that this particularly stupid bit of propaganda doesn't take over the narrative. And that's about all the entertainment even I can wring out of dry policy discussions, so we're going to go for a break. Up next, up next, our discussion of the absolute most boring Oscars in recent memory. And boy, oh boy, is there a lot of competition for that title. Thanks, everyone, and I'll talk to you again in a moment. And we are back. And as promised, Will has agreed to stick around and record with me. It was one yeah, of the... That's right. You get a triple dose of my dulcet tones this week. Are you excited? <laughs> I can't imagine you're excited every time I listen to a recording of my voice. I think, gee, why do people listen to this nerd? I... I actually had to barter with him. I agreed to do Caitlyn Jenner if he would record the Oscar segment with me. (laughs) And if I recorded the deep dive, remember that? And the deep dive, yes. (laughs) Our viewers will remember that because I just talked about it. (laughs) Anyway, on to the main event. The Oscars. It was terrible. Yeah, it was... (laughs) I'm going to be honest... Despite, you know, watching this thing for the podcast, I had to actually look up what happened in it the next morning because I did not remember a single thing that happened on this show. I fell asleep. Literally not one thing. I fell asleep during the show. I'm not ashamed to admit. (laughs) (laughs) Oscars 2021, more effective than NyQuil, everybody. (laughs) Steven Seidenberg had promised some excitement. All I seen was a bunch of boring stuff happening. Steven Soderbergh is a dirt cheap liar, evidently. Uh, one of the things that I seen um, posted all over social media was the the show needed a host. Uh, we needed someone like Jimmy Kimmel or uh, Whoopi Goldberg or even Billy Crystal to to lighten things up and add up personality to the to the show. Yeah, that seems to be at least the Academy Board and ABC's take on it. They're already looking on a host for next year. I believe they actually were considering uh, getting Whoopi to do it. Is that right? Yeah, our LA source uh, mentioned that one of the first things that they did on Monday morning was talk to the Academy and then go and talk to Whoopi Goldberg about possibly hosting for 2022. Uh, Mostly because they were really dismayed with the ratings, Initially, they thought yeah. it was going to be the first telecast to ever have under 10 million viewers. Uh, ultimately, that number rose to 10.4 million. Yeah, just barely squeaking in over the threshold of complete embarrassment. Oh, anyway, I... we're going to be recapping the winners and losers of the, the big winners and losers of the night for 
those of you who did not watch, which statistically speaking, most of you didn't. I think those who did watch were the big losers. <laughs> yeah, ain't that the truth? Anyway, yeah, this was, a, I gotta admit, this was probably a hard year to have the Oscars because nobody saw any movies. Uh, that was one of the things that was talked about is there was no big blockbusters to, to draw people in. Mm-hmm. And the movies that did, you know, get released were all, people tried to experiment with streaming and there weren't really a lot of things going into theaters. So I would imagine most of you have not seen the movies that we're about to talk about even more so than in a usual year. But we're going to talk about it anyway. Uh, because... Somebody needs to roast the film industry, and we are, and viewer, our listeners, we are brave enough for the job. Well, one of us is brave enough. The other is me. <laughs> All right. All right, let's kick things off. All right, with uh, the Best Actress winner was Frances McDormand for Nomadland. Uh, what? Frances McDormand is a um, pretty good actress. She's had a very long career, very long, very storied career. The last time I saw her was in uh, Three Bridges Outside Edding, Missouri, which I hated. I thought it was just absolutely terrible. Boring, could not keep a thread or a tone. But people have been saying good things about Nomadland, so I'm glad uh, Frances McDormand is back in some good movies again. I, I think she probably deserved the win. I, of course, I didn't see Nomadland, but... Um... <laughs> She was very odd. Uh, at one point, she was doing a wolf call, and I was like, what, what, what is happening? Am I dreaming this? Well, it was an odd movie. I think she might have been reenacting a bit from it. That could be. Maybe it would, would have worked better if I had actually watched the movie. <laughs> You're going to be hearing a lot of that, folks, so strap in. I have, in normal years, I've at least watched one of the uh, one of the movies. This year I've watched zero. 20, yeah. 2020 was not a movie year for me. 2020 was not a movie year for anyone. It was not really much of a year for anyone. But anyway, that's that's enough talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the best original song, which uh, most people thought was going to go to Leslie Odom Jr. For, uh, for One Night in Miami, actually ended up going to Fight for You by... Uh, H-E-R, Tierra Thomas, and DeMille for Judas and the Black Messiah. This was probably the biggest upset of the night. Um, well, Really? The biggest upset of the night? Yeah, I realized. That was my faux pas. <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> uh, it, it, was, it was one of the bigger ones, though, because uh, Leslie was actually walking around talking about how he had this in the bag, and <laughs> needless well, to say... I guess... Don't count your chickens before they hatch in all, eh, Leslie? <laughs> I mean, you would think that they would know better by now, but... Yeah. All right, next category we'll be going over is the Best Supporting Actress. The winner for that is, I believe, Yoon Yoo-jong for Minari. Yeah, the fun thing about uh, uh, Young, uh, Young is... She was the first Asian American to win an Oscar uh, for the Best Supporting Actress. Hey, the Academy's finally nominating some some people other than the same five dudes over and over. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. They'll save five dudes and save five women over and over. <laughs> yes. Um, and she is called the Korean Meryl Streep. So everyone was actually very happy about her win. High praise, I gotta say. Um, the best director went to Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. She was only the second woman to ever win, and she's the first woman of color to win the award. Gotta admit, Nomadland really kind of raked in the awards tonight. Uh, it, I, I feel like I've got to remember to watch that one next time I'm in the mood for something really weird and introspective. So never. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm feeling pretty weird and introspective these days, you know? Uh, sometime when I pop into the hell zone. I, I will... You know the hell zone when you uh, are in isolation and you lose track of time and everything just is... Just... You're really just having a not a normal one at all. You know that? I call that Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um just me, I guess. Anyway, uh, <laughs> oh. next one we're going to be doing Best Supporting Actor. And this one is Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. Daniel Kaluuya is actually an actor who I really like. I've been following him since he was in Get Out. And he did really well in that. And I'm really not surprised he has been uh, showing up at the Oscars a little more. Yeah, he was the odds-on favorite to win um, from the very beginning. So it was like Daniel mm-hmm. and then the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a weird acceptance speech uh, out of him. Thanking his parents for um, having him in a really strange way. Did you see that? Yeah. Um, and it's really bad because it get, it keeps getting reposted on my Facebook. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't want to see this anymore. Thank you, though. Yeah. Well, I will... Uh, I will bow to your wishes on that one, and we're going to skip talking about it any more. Let's move on to the next category. All right. The best animated feature went to Soul uh, from Disney. Um, Again, this was not a big... What a shock. The Pixar movie won it. Who could have foreseen this? The the funny thing is, is Onward, people kept saying that Onward was going to upset Soul. Um, I don't think people actually saw Onward. It's terrible. (laughs) Onward. I heard a lot about that movie leading up to its release and then absolutely nothing afterwards. Uh, Disney was not pleased with uh, uh, with that one. Uh, they were actually very happy with Soul. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, Onward also just kind of looked from the very start like it was really flirting with the possibility of being a significant failure. Yeah, I think that's why they were happy that they just sent it over to streaming. Ah, uh, you know when Disney movies bad when they don't try to charge you thirty bucks on streaming for it. <laughs> Raya directors. It's funny because it's true. It's true, but it's not that funny. <laughs> but anyway, for the best original screenplay Oscar, we have Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. Fun fact, she wrote, directed, and produced this movie while seven months pregnant over the course of about 23 days. Yeah. Which is a really 
really short amount of time to write, direct, and produce a movie. It, it is a very short amount of time, and I don't know if you've seen her acceptance speech, but I think next year they need to get her to direct the Academy Awards because she was so full of personality. Uh, <laughs> I didn't fall asleep during her speech. <laughs> that is That really is quite an impressive uh, feat in this absolute snooze fest of an award show. Yeah, um... She was my favorite one of the night, if I'm being honest. I thought, uh, out of everyone, she deserved it the most. Well, it's not like there was a huge amount of competition there. That's true. Anyway, Promising One New Woman, a fairly uh, divisive film. Yeah. Certainly having it turn out, like, and draw as much attention as it did for being shot in that short amount of time. Putting it out in that short amount of time is... Certainly, a pretty incredible achievement, I gotta say. Yeah, I, I'm, I was super impressed with with the whole team, not just Emerald, but uh, she seems to be the center of everything. So, yeah. Anyway, so now we have uh, we have our final the final category. We'll be covering the biggest, the actual biggest upset of the night. <laughs> yes. The actual uh, upset of the night came from the Best Actor category. Up up until uh, the night of the Oscars, Chadwin, um, Chadwick Boseman was expected to walk away. Instead, Sir Anthony Hopkins won for The Father. Everyone was surprised, but no one more so than Anthony Hopkins himself. Uh, he didn't even bother showing up for the ceremony or zooming in because he felt like, why should I bother when I'm not going to win? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a reasonable assumption to make. The Academy does love its, you know, hand out the last Oscar to the aging actor at the end of their career. And given that Chaswick Bozeman died this year and his performance in Judas and the Black Messiah was released posthumously uh, everybody thought it was a sh- and you know reportedly it was a really great performance everybody thought he was a shoe in for it yeah so he had to be put on kind of the spot for a bit of a rambling acceptance speech in which he ended up i believe talking more about chadwick bozeman than he did himself yeah uh, he i think he did a really good job of just honoring the late chadwick bozeman and um i think this was a good capper for his career uh it's not likely he's going to be accepting any more roles uh, from what I've gathered. Yeah, I mean, he's been he's been in the business for a really long time and has a ton of really, really big, really famous roles under his belt. I'd have to actually, I guess I might actually have to watch both of the shows to see who gives him a better performance. It's hard to say. This has certainly proven to, um, this has drawn a lot of heat on Twitter and in the social media-verse as you could probably have guessed. Yeah, well, and I think a part of that was because they saved Best Actor for last, uh, wanting to end on a poignant moment, and instead, they left us with our mouths hanging open. And they just sort of didn't go for the poignant moment that everybody assumed they would be building up to. A weird one, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. So the ceremony 
had a lot of historic first, a historic low rating, um, but there were some good historic stuff. Historically bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, this uh, this ceremony had the most women that ever won Academy Awards, which yeah is either really sad or it's really good. I can't decide. <laughs> well. The Academy has has announced trends to expand its membership and to try to draw in more people in the active industry to recognize more talent be, who have than who's traditionally been recognized. So this could be the result of that effort. That is true. We have more diverse winners than ever before, so um Yeah, that's why I was thinking that's why I was thinking about that. Uh, uh, so this was supposed to be also marked the opening of the Academy Awards, uh, the Academy of Motion Pictures Museum, uh, which this museum has been supposed to be opened every year since 2016. <laughs> At this point, I'm not sure it's ever going to open. This thing, this, this project has been delayed so often. It's had so many overruns. You could almost mistake it for a government project. <laughs> Are we sure it's not? Uh, well, I mean, it is California. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, the government is involved in all kinds of weird things over there. Is Caitlyn Jenner in charge of this? Maybe that's where the problem lies. Well, why did you have to bring that up, man? <laughs> we went, we were going a whole segment, and we didn't even have to say it. I didn't even have to consider that this whole segment. <laughs> we just had to bring it back in. Oh, you know I like to wrap things around. <laughs> You sure do, yeah. Well, I've got something to point out for you. We forgot to mention what the best picture winner was. Uh, we did indeed. It was Nomadland. Big surprise. Yeah, big shocker. I mean, in terms of prestige films, that was pretty much the best reviewed, most widely known out of all the ones that released this year. This year. Yeah, I think that won like every award. The other movies were just like well, there. I mean, you're not you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. That was definitely the darling. Uh, hopefully, in 2022, we get a better set of movies. And yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, at one point, there was actually talk that Sonic the Hedgehog would be the the big winner of the Oscars because it was the last movie released to theaters. Thankfully, the Academy decided to relax some of their restrictions, so we avoided that nightmare scenario. At least Jim Carrey would finally get that Oscar he's been craving. You know, I think if Sonic the Hedgehog had been the big winner of the Oscars, I might have to... I don't know, I might have to do something drastic. Change my name and move to Alaska, maybe. Uh... <laughs> Get as far away as possible from the film industry. Just hide out in a bunker above the Arctic Circle. Anyway, I think we've hit about the end of uh, entertainment we can ring from this absolute dead horse of a production. Agreed. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, cheers.